Are you also tired of one-size-fits-all weight loss plans? Meet Noom, the personalized solution that meets you where you are. Noom is able to understand your unique needs, from dietary restrictions to medical concerns. Unlike restrictive programs, Noom embraces your lifestyle and choices. Discover a sustainable approach to weight loss, tailored just for you. Honestly, Noom felt like it was made for me. It's not just about what I eat. It's about understanding why. With Noom, I've learned so much about myself and built healthier habits that stick. It's all about progress, not perfection. Say goodbye to restrictive diets and experience the Noom app for yourself with personalized lessons and expert coaching. Noom's psychology and biology-based approach has helped over 5.2 million people achieve their goals. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Colombia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier Richard McCall, shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia. Hello and welcome to Colombia Calling, episode 414. I'm Emily Hart, and today I'll be chatting to award-winning Colombian science fiction writer and artist Luis Carlos Barragan, author of three novels and numerous short stories. Luis's writing and illustration explores everything from tech and space travel to solitude and God, but it pushes back against the dominant Anglophone sci-fi, infusing events, themes and futures with Colombian realities and cultures, as well as social and political issues. His work includes the acclaimed surrealist sci-fi Vagabunda Bogotá and one of my all-time favorite novels, El Gusano, The Worm, which is just out in its second edition. We're going to be chatting all things Latin American sci-fi, techno-shamanism, alien invasions, political corruption, queer futures, and neo-indigenism. But first, your top news stories for this week. Human rights groups worldwide have welcomed Colombia's decision to decriminalize abortion in the first 24 weeks of pregnancy, with celebrations across the country itself. Meanwhile, President Ivan Duque rejected the decision, claiming that abortion will be normalized, even used as a contraceptive. He said that these decisions cannot be taken by five people and that Congress should be the one to decide. And Conservative Senator... Juan Diego Gómez, president of the Senate, has said that the issue should be put to a referendum so that Colombians can decide. In security news, Colombia's human rights ombudsman Carlos Camargo suspended field missions due to the serious public order situation in Colombia, demonstrating clearly the deterioration of violence in the country. Since the signing of the peace agreement, the Ombudsman's Office has been one of few entities which has managed to establish a presence in the most remote corners of Colombia. This new suspension is being seen as a clear sign of escalating violence in these regions and the exacerbation of local conflicts between armed groups. Controversy and intrigue continue around the testimony of paramilitary leader Daido Antonio Usuga, alias Otoniel. After the theft of his testimony from the home of a Truth Commission investigator, the Commission's advisory committee wrote a critical letter to the President, voicing numerous concerns and calling on him to protect the Commission's work, guaranteeing the necessary safeguards for the testimony of Otoniel. Meanwhile, his lawyers have denounced intimidation, saying that the government have trampled all protocol in regard to due process as well as his treatment within the penal system claiming that they are not being given guarantees of security and privacy to gather his statement. The former leader of Colombia's biggest armed group, Clan del Golfo, a.k.a. Autodefensas Gaitanistas de Colombia, has promised to share his intimate knowledge of Colombia's armed conflict, having served in four different armed groups, leading three of them over decades of conflict. 
Otoniel has already spoken of generals, soldiers and politicians who formed alliances with paramilitary groups. He claims to have proof of how politicians, cattle ranchers, businessmen and civilians participated in the war, including collaboration with armed violence against land claimants, human rights defenders and social leaders who tried to oppose the dispossession of land by large cattle and palm oil companies. He further claims to have evidence and information including the exact location of graves as well as evidence around the extermination of the Patriotic Union political party and the murders of indigenous people, campesinos and members of the LGBTQ community. The Colombian Commission of Jurists has also asked the Supreme Court to prevent the extradition of Otoniel to the USA, already in progress, on the grounds that rapid extradition would deprive his Colombian victims of justice. Otoniel himself has formally requested the guarantee of non-extradition. Investigative journalism group Liga Contra el Silencio have revealed extensive evidence linking the Char clan to marijuana and cocaine trafficking in Barranquilla, the city where they still exercise a high degree of control over political and business life. The Alliance of Journalists reviewed 78 notebooks and 16,000 pages of a file from the Fiscalia written between 1993 and 1994. The documents link the Char family to the so-called Cartel de la Costa, a criminal organization led by Alberto Gamboa, known as El Caracol. Alex Char is a pre-candidate for the Colombian presidency, facing his second scandal in recent weeks, having been accused by former congresswoman Aida Merlano of being an accomplice in the massive vote-buying scheme for which she was imprisoned. And Colombia has ordered its ambassador to Nicaragua to return immediately to Bogotá, after the president, Daniel Ortega, called Colombia a narco-state for the second time in a matter of months. The ambassador for Colombia wrote a protest note, accusing the president of attempting to distract from the critical human rights situation in his own country. He then resigned, while the Nicaraguan foreign minister withdrew his credentials, accusing him of meddling. And the fourth peak of coronavirus continues to pass. New daily cases are now below 2,000, down from 30,000 in mid-January. 80% of Colombians have now had at least one dose of vaccine, around 65% are fully vaccinated. More than 15% have also had a booster injection. As of last week, municipalities with more than 70% of the population vaccinated will be able to remove the requirement of face masks in open spaces. Those were your top stories for this week. Thanks for listening. Okay, hello and welcome, and welcome to Louise, Colombian author and illustrator of science fiction, has authored four novels, including one of my all-time favorite novels, El Gusano, which has just had its second edition published by Vestigio. So welcome, Louise. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks, thanks to you to, uh, for inviting me. Um, let's dive in. I'm curious, as a writer and illustrator, you've specialized in this genre for years, but why science fiction? What inspires you? Um, well, science fiction is, um, it has a lot of potential, really. It, it, it's like, a, well, my, my brain has this um, ten, tendency towards like very large scale imagination. I, I tend to, I, first, I love science. I love watching stuff about biology, about astronomy, about uh, quantum mechanics. And then it just it's just like a step from there to imagine what would happen if this, you connect this with that, and, and also thinking large-scale stuff about civilization, history, sociology, and stuff like that. So it's just one step away to just think, what if, and then just it just feels very like pleasurable, natural to, to imagine this large-scale scenarios. Um, that's why I chose it. it it's, it's a very like powerful tool to imagine, to, 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 yeah, to, to let yourself go to it, to, I think imagination is such a powerful tool and it's very like underused, like, and, and, in sci-fi and fantasy, like really allow us to, to go through so much that our brain can give us. It's so interesting because you're, 
in which case a real combination mind, right? As well as loving science and being a writer, you also studied Islamic art in Cairo. Yeah, that's correct. I studied Islamic art. (laughs) (laughs) It's a real combination of influences. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I do have also like a very like big interest in religion, like history of religion and art. I studied art actually at, at the university. And then I did this master of arts in art history. But now I'm thinking I could have studied biology or I could have studied like Jewish studies. Now I'm super interested in Jewish studies and neurobiology wow. and super interested in neurobiology. So it was like, I, I just wish I had more time and money to study all those things. And <laughs> Yeah. Time and money always the limiters. Um, So in a genre that's so heavily dominated by Anglophone writers, can you give us an idea of what sci-fi in Colombia and more widely in Latin America looks like right now? Um, What are its influences and its trends? Yeah, well, um, yeah, precisely. I think um, the shadow of Anglophone science fiction has been there for a long while and I think it has been like a constant, like a constant uh, try of getting rid of that shadow. So, um, like, I think now there's going on like an explosion of science fiction everywhere. Um, not like in Colombia, there's a lot of publications now. In Argentina, in Cuba, in Mexico, in in Chile, for example. Before before this time, before 2000s, um, there had been some like golden ages in some in some places. For example, Argentina, um, Cuba uh, had like a lot, like big production of science fiction. Other places did not have that amount. Like for example, Colombia only had a few authors here and there, but not like a very big movement. But now things are changing a lot. Um, because there's a lot of authors and also there's internet. And also I think maybe science fiction has been more popularized maybe because of the cinema or I don't know what is going on, but everyone is being like more open to science fiction, to, to imagining these things. Uh, there's more uh, publishers. I think there's also like the stigma that science fiction had in academia, for example, has changed a little bit. And now there's more people doing research in in the universities about science fiction. So that's very good. So there's more people, like, for example, also big publishing houses that are interested uh, for the first time in, in publishing science fiction. Like before, like if you go to a big publishing house in Latin America, like like Planeta, for example, and tell them, like, I want to write, I want to publish a sci-fi novel. And they will be like, no, this is Latin America. We don't publish that. But I just got one uh, novel published in Planeta and also other uh, editing houses and other writers are also publishing in big companies. So I think there's a change that's going on. And so what does it look like be- besides this publication historial? Um, I think it looks like a lot of experimentation. There's a lot of questions. A lot of people are thinking a lot of things about who we are, our past, our history with colonization, with um, with being a third world country, with being with having our history with indigenous cultures, with um, um, yeah, I think I think those are very important topics that are, have been going around, like trying to rethink what it what it is to be Latin American, what it is to 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 try to move that world of sci-fi from the anglophone world to try to take, to retake it or to, to say like, you know, we also produce science or we also think in scientific terms, we also use technology. So what does it mean to be Latin American, but also live with these machines and with this technology and how can we also think about it? So it's really like a empowering time, I think, to, to really be able to think about these things and propose new uh, ideas about it. It's so interesting, the the idea of this academic snobbery towards science fiction, which I think is, oh, yeah. has always always been the case, um, also in, in Anglophone sci-fi, despite its potential to, as, as you say, be a way of not only grappling with what, what we are ontologically, but also projected futures, you know, fearful futures and, and hopeful ones. Um, 
you recently gave an amazing set of talks on reimagining the future uh, about science fiction. Um, so the idea, as I understand it, is to decolonize our idea of the future, its aesthetics, its technologies, and the realities that we've imagined of the future, given, given its history, this genre, or its, or its very early roots as an industrial revolution era, very European and very capitalist mode of imagination. So, so how colonized is our current fiction, vision of the future and, and how do we decolonize it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were a set of uh, talks I, I gave on on that. Also inspired on something that happened in the FutureCon, recent FutureCon, in which they were also talking about a little bit about like, um, is science fiction a colonial genre, like something mm. that comes precisely from colonial ideas? And I was trying to debate whether, uh, for example, the idea of future is something that only exists in the West. And in the rest of the world, this idea that there will be a future with development and technology, this is something that before didn't exist. Like this idea that in the future, we will have better systems of transportation. Like before it's like, hmm? like, why would we imagine this thing? But actually, I was trying to debate that and, and to say, like, actually, there are, for example, prophecies or, or other forms of, of imagining uh, like technological evolution, but just in different terms, because um, the way we we see evolution of technology, like of course it has like many many forms of understanding it. We have this idea of development, this idea that um, we will eventually become better, that we will in the future we'll have better access to better health and something like that. But maybe also the reason I was talking about that is because maybe in this countries in the in in this uh, latin american countries and and probably it's the same feeling in in africa and in other countries it's like sure we see a very like acute evolution in this devices like the phones and and the applications and internet but the real life outside it doesn't seem to be changing that much it's like the institutions are still stuck the like at least in Colombia, where we have a lot of corruption and a lot of these things, it's like, this is the same. It doesn't seem to be changing. Um, so it's like, is it really, is it true that this idea of development is going somewhere or not? That's so interesting you say that. I just finished um, my sporadic reread of John Gray's Straw Dogs, um, which really looks at this idea of progress as well. And he argues that pre-Christian cultures, most pagan cultures, really thought in terms of cycles rather than in terms of this linear idea of progress, hmm. which was effectively a Christian idea. Um, but I've also found in, in my own reading that a lot of pre-colonial cultures have perceived oncoming apocalypse events or, you know, major future events in mind. So I think it's a really complicated question, this idea of hmm. You know, is the idea of eternal progress a Christian idea? Is it a humanist idea? Did it exist before, you know, mass colonization of, of the globe? And also, like, why wouldn't it be also possible to accept or to integrate ideas of cycles, cycles, right? Like, why do we have to think that if we're going to think of science and we're going to think of um, science fiction, why can't we also play with the idea of cycles? Uh, like, for example, in... I don't know the Indian Indian type of understanding of uh, time that there are cycles, no, like the Kali Yuga, all these things. Uh, that uh, there's the cycles of destructions and then there's cycles of re rebirth and things like that. Um, yeah. So if this, like, if the West came with these ideas and told us that we have to think like them and we have to understand technology this way. And also then comes capitalism and tells us, like, we have to acquire these products and we have to make more money to buy more of these products. And it's like, um, really, is that all that, that it's to it? And, <laughs> uh, and then I guess, uh -huh. like, that's, that's the point of it. It's just like just asking questions, just asking questions and, and trying to go around it, trying to see if it's, there's another way of understanding um, technology and science and also... Um, science fiction as well, like trying to be like, is it possible to imagine science fiction in another form? Is it possible to imagine progress in another form? Or like the idea of progress, do we need it? Is it essential? 
this kind of mm. this kind of things. This are this is the things that I think is what we totally. Yeah. Yes, because because also, because also there's like sorry because there's also no, like no, this no. dichotomy right this dichotomy that is setting the world into two right like developed and underdeveloped like mm. if we have this if we have this um, um, ideology it's like we have to all the time be telling who is developed and who's underdeveloped because we have this speech we have this theory but before we didn't necessarily need it. And maybe we can also start thinking of a science fiction that doesn't necessarily think in those terms. And, and I was thinking of one, ex- one example, um, which is related to um, um, something I said about, about technology in, for example, n- native, native American or native, just any native um, culture in which, for example, technology would be to make a basket. Like you need to know the specific type of plants how to use them, and then this would be a technology. And then imagine the same, but about making a spaceship. Like you make it a spaceship, this would be a technology. You need a very specific knowledge, and this could develop through generations, but it could be done by tradition. So you have a very, like, thousands of year old tradition of making a spaceship or making a robot or something like that. So I I was thinking, like, this could be a form of understanding sci-fi in a different way. Totally. More of a an ancestral knowledge perspective mm-hmm. exactly. on technology rather than like, hey, this huge company or this like insane white dude who made a bunch of money through tech has made exactly. a thing. Um, exactly. Yeah, it's it's totally fascinating. I'm I'm hoping with your permission we can share some of your some of your illustrations as well, because they they really illustrate what we're talking about in this incredibly yeah. vivid way. Um I think the other thing that that your work does in this area, particularly as a as a foreign reader, is not just problematize the idea of of progress and science fiction, but to physically relocate it. Mm. So in um, Tierra contra Futuro, aliens arrive, um, but they don't arrive in New York or London. They arrive in the forest of Meta, Colombia, and the story unravels from that particular place in that particular cultural and political context. Um, Equally, the premise of El Gusano, I'm not going to give spoilers because that would be to do any listeners who are going to read it a huge disservice, but on some unforeseen day in 1997, the boundaries of skin no longer hold and people are are now able to cross and merge and they share characteristics and memories and even telepathic connections. But again, that action comes from Colombia. You have references to reggaeton culture you have guerrilla fighters um and i think we're all horribly familiar with sci-fi and apocalypse movies where the main action happens in europe in the usa and there's one of those hand wavy montage events unfolding in other places as if they only exist peripherally right so you get like a tidal wave hitting a terrible cliche of an african market two seconds next two seconds shitty cheap green screen mosque two seconds, one monk on a Himalaya, right? (laughs) (laughs) This is how we see, you know, non-white places. And your work tells the story from a specific context. So so how important is that geopolitical, social, cultural location to your work and and how how you write, how your process unravels? Well, I I think it it should be, um, it should be more natural that this, this type of action happens in many other places. The thing is like, it's sort of like this culture has been monopolized for so many years. And I think it's important to give light to so many other places in the world and so many other identities as well that uh, have been sort of become invisible because they don't have the power to, to become visible, to, to share their experiences and their stories. So I think that's why I think it's important to relocate this events, this uh, uh, alien invasion or things like that in a different context, but also in a different form, because I don't want to, I don't, I don't want it to be like Independence Day, of course not. It has to be in a different form in somewhere in the jungles of, of Colombia, because this place is, they, it's like also like in Colombia or in Ecuador or somewhere here in, in this local areas where we go out and the streets are not even paved it's very hard to imagine that we could have a machine, like a, a huge mecha, a robot walking around. Like 
for us, it's like very hard to imagine. If we imagine New York and we imagine that there's a robot there, it's like, oh yeah, sure, a, a robot in New York, that's normal. But in but in like in in the jungle, like or here in right now, I'm living in Ecuador in Puerto Lopez. Like here in Puerto uh-huh. Lopez in Ecuador, like a robot, that's impossible. And I mm-hmm. think like that exercise, I think it's fundamental for us because it. I feel we need to expand our brain. We need to empower ourselves a little bit more and to, to think like we, we can think more, we can, we can imagine more, we can appropriate our future more than just think we are just this small forgotten place in history that no one talks about, no one knows about, where the aliens will never come. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do think it's important as a, yeah, as a way of empowering all these stories, all these other people, all these other, um, yeah, all these other identities. Right. Um, And these new futures with other roots um, Mm. seem to be unraveling and developing in in Latin American sci-fi. And I'm going to throw some some big words that I hope are the right translation into English, roughly, um, of some terms I've I've heard you use. One is techno-shamanism. One is neo-indigenism. And one is pre-Colomb punk. So could you tell us a bit more about those trends um, and, and what they mean for Latin American sci-fi? Sure. So uh, techno-shamanism, it's a term that um, has been going on for some years already to describe something that I think we all have wanted, which is like a merge of cyberpunk with shamanism. That's how I understand it. Mm-hmm. There, there aren't a lot, a whole lot of uh, amount of uh, books about this, or even novels. But it's like I think, I think this is a little bit a, um, like a desire we have. A lot of people here have of wanting this type of things to be to be done. Like we want this, but in our own terms, we want the cyberpunk, but we don't want the normal cyberpunk. We want the cyberpunk, but with the shamanism. So shamanism it would refer in this case to all these traditional cultures in Latin America that are related to indigenous, these indigenous cultures. Imagine like the mix of the cultures, the traditional cultures of Latin America, the the ideas of the like the shamanic flight in these traditional tribes in which there is a shaman who ingests this traditional beverage like ayahuasca, like San Pedro, like peyote, and through this they have a vision with uh, the spirits, imagine merging this with cyberpunk and with like a, a mix of today's uh, urban life, um, m- like mixing the, 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 the access to the cyber cyberspace as a form of entering the, the world of the spirits. And, and, I, mm-hmm. and I think there's a lot of stuff that you can do with that. And one of the one of the persons who have done it is Jorge Baradit, the, the writer from Chile, who wrote Yggdrasil. And this book is amazing. I, I recommend it a lot. There's there's more. Um, I think uh, Eric Mota from Cuba also wrote a book, has has written some stuff of cyberpunk, also trying to talk about, for example, I think in this case, he, he goes a little bit more into like Latin Afrofuturism, something like that. But, but I think Baradit is closer to Latin American stuff and and like for example in in Yggdrasil, there's like a like a shaman in orbit uh, around the world and he is connected to the global network something like that what is the other term wow uh neo indigenism was one yeah neo indigenism would be um so neo indigenism has a lot of um has a lot of expressions uh and it's not necessarily related to science fiction. So neo-indigenism has been seen in art and literature and philosophy as well, which is an intent to focus division of all the subjects into this indigenous population. Try to give them a new mm-hmm. voice, try to make uh, literature about them as a, like, they're not, um, they're not uh, forgotten they have their own stories, they have their own stuff, and, and they can also create their own networks of like empowerment and things like that. Um, so if you link this with science fiction, it could be like 
and a whole exploration, not just shamanism, but a whole exploration of their cultures, of their forms of living, their languages, their many other aspects of their of their living that can be rescued, that can be uh, empowered also through sci through sci-fi. And the and the last one I think is uh, um, pre-column punk. That's a term I um, I sort of invented during the talks uh, to describe something that also I don't think we have seen in in great like in great detail also in in the media, uh, which is um, the idea of imagining what kind of world would have existed if the if the americas if the types of cultures in the americas before uh the the yeah before the colonization um had mm -hmm. happened if they these cultures had evolved magnificently uh for thousands of years and created a special type of technology um like to reach for example space travel uh or time travel or you know like giant robots, all sorts of new forms of technology, but based on totally different values, totally different forms of understanding mm -hmm. technology without the, the, the reaching of all this Western technologies. So how would it be? And, and, and I think there's some, there are some um, examples. There's even a video game that I showed in, in this talks. Um, it's called Aztec. Uh, it seems very interesting. But yeah, it's like try to imagine like, Imagine this Aztec world with the pyramids and with the games that they had with the ball. And, and, but imagine, like, just put some spaceships, put some other forms, put some, like, more stuff. Like, imagine it going bigger, greater. Uh, imagine it going to the stars. And that's pre-Column Punk. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. The idea not of... It's a fascinating idea rather than imagining what if in the future X thing happened to go back in time and imagine what if X thing had not happened and then trace all the way forward mm. into the future from, from there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, while colonization is very, it's a very common experience historically across the world. Um, the, the aesthetics that you've created in some of your illustrations are, are very specifically of this, of this region um, and it's, and it's traditional cultures. Um, I'm interested in the idea as well of of this rise in popularity of of the genre and the idea of global spirit and accessing you know a bigger a bigger force in the context of the internet, mm. um, which you know Douglas Adams, um, the author of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, wrote about the internet as the thing which you know literally fulfills many of these speculations of traditional sci-fi. You can time travel. You can go anywhere and talk to anyone and be anything. Um, yeah. And in in Colombian sci-fi, you notice something of a of a mysticism emerging as well, yeah. which which feels related to this this global internet access phenomenon. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's this like a, something related to mysticism very strong also in in the rest of Latin America. Like like the sci-fi writers tend to end up writing about gods and about mystical experiences, even though they're also using science. So sometimes uh, they end up doing like very soft sci-fi because of this reason. Yeah. Right. And the idea, I mean, the idea really that science and mysticism in the internet age are not so different. Exactly. Um, yeah. You're connected to everyone. You're connected to right. everything. You can reach anything. This is like a mystical experience. <laughs> I, I do you know some days i i really fucking hate the internet and others i'm like this is a mystical experience you know mm. you can talk to anyone anywhere in the world you know not directly mind to mind but like is typing yeah. such a such a leap i don't know maybe maybe it's like a early version of what we would want right like maybe it's like a very early and primitive version of a, a more wide wider connection that we are expecting something that we deeply want but mm. we have only fulfilled it very like in a very primitive way so far right and that you know that desire for for connection um is certainly something that comes through in in your work you've said a lot of it relates to confronting solitude 
um, and overcoming the limits of the human body in order to do that. Um, so in El Gusano, for example, people can merge and interchange organs and fingerprints and memories. And in Tierra Contra el Futuro, you can upload your consciousness into an alien body and yeah. experience the world from from that physical from that physical space. Um, so what is it, you know, the human body as a cage is obviously a very powerful, slightly upsetting concept. Is, is it something you feel personally? What, it, what inspires you to tackle those themes? Yeah, definitely. Like, um, uh, there's, a, there's a writer that I love that's uh, Mircea Cartorescu. He's a Rom- Romanian uh, author, and he, he has this book called Solenoid. I think he expresses it very well, saying something like, uh, there's, there's a terror, there's a horror in being trapped in this body and not being able to know whether the others experience the same things that I think I, I experience. I have no idea whether what you see is exactly what I see, but also all your life history is so completely different from mine that it's impossible to know the way you process information, for example. So, um, so this is one thing, but also like this, this mystery of like, really like, like, how does your brain work? Is it exactly the way mine works? And, and, and like, what are you thinking? And constantly, and I think communication is precisely that. Like, I think we're doing this because we want to understand each other better and better because we don't understand each other. So that's the reason we talk and talk and talk. And because we need to b- build these bridges to understand each other because we are desperate to understand each other. We need this connection. And I think, and also, well, I, I, I think I have, I had some experiences with loneliness when, when I was in, I was living in Cairo at the time. And I, yeah, I had a very big trouble like making friends there. Um, I, I spent a long time alone in my apartment and, and, and yeah. And I, I just started thinking a lot about this, about this lack of connection, like the, the effects of, of not having connection with other people. I, I would count like weeks without talking to people and, and how like all all the life has already been built for for this lack of interaction, like how like Facebook and and and, and Instagram and it's like a replacement of social life, and mm. and I think a lot of people experience this during the pandemic, like this lack of real ex- interaction with humans, and the effects of that, and, and I think I was I was already living during the pandemic when I was writing that book. And yeah, I think it's like the desire to like, what is the ultimate form of stop being alone? And I, and I thought, well, that's merging with someone. Like that's becoming the other. That's being you. And that's being the others. Like the, the ultimate not being alone is being the other. Right. I think, you know, El Gusano is a novel that was written well before the pandemic where we mm-hmm. actually became afraid to touch each other. Yeah. Um, and connection became that much more difficult. Um, and I think there's, there's a real, there's a fascinating duality in your work because, you know, people both crave this, this fusion and this connection and they equally totally fear losing the self in the other. Mm. Um, and some people are at one extreme and others are at the other. Um, there's a really fascinating passage where again, you, you locate this phenomenon that's happening globally in different places. So in Colombia, there's you know, it's, it's a very tactile culture. There's reggaeton parties, people are fusing and unfusing. And in, in Egypt, where obviously you, you spent time, there was not that much physical touch anyway. So there was less fusion. And then in certain countries, laws were, in, you know, there's, there's a real ambivalence to the idea of merging and maintaining the self yeah. um, that feels more universal, actually, than, than cultural in any case. Yeah, 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 definitely. And also, I, w- I was trying to talk about like the the fear of losing yourself in the other. I mean, it's like you sort of want it, but at the same time, you're scared. But I, but also, I was also trying to talk about how people would be afraid of. I mean, well, in the in the book, you can just if you touch someone, you just merge, right? Mm. But I'm I'm sure people would be afraid of merging with someone. Uh, like I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of elitist and homophobic people and misogynistic people and they would be afraid of merging with a woman they would be afraid of merging with someone who's black merging with someone who's latino merging with someone who's gay and i was also trying to to talk about that to to talk about like how 
we 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 have this duality of yeah we can love each other and we can love our neighbor but at the same time we're afraid of doing it like we're repelling each other and at the same time we want to be with the other like this duality okay. of wanting and also not wanting yeah yeah and i think you know talking about relations and and the idea of merging um there's another default um which is removed in your work in a, in a way that feels very subtle but then when you look at it overall there's a kind of joyful anarchic sexuality to a lot of the interactions that happens in in the sci-fi worlds that that you've created so um well outside of male female sexual relations there's kind of human alien sexual interactions and relationships and even human object sexual relationships in vagabondo bogota um which is again breaking away from this really boring camp 1970s trope of like aliens arrive but they're really sexy women or like an ai robot is built but for some reason it needs to have tits and be a sex object for heterosexual men <laughs> like all of that like really boring very heterosexual sci-fi stuff is just in the bin in your work right there's there's an anarchism to it um where sexuality is allowed to be totally subjective well i i think it's it's part of the um... I mean, you can relate it a lot to to uh, the previous the previous um, idea of the merging because um, I think it's all related to 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 being trapped in the body and and to having this having being told what you are supposed to to be and to love and 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 I think I experienced that when I was maybe coming out. And when I was trying to defy my own gender identity and my own sexuality, when I was, I, I used to be part of a activism group when I was maybe in my twenties, and mm-hmm. I, and I, and I, th- this was an activism group of transgender men, and and working with them, I really started questioning like a lot of this, a lot of these identities that are that we are told that we are that you have to be a man and, and, and therefore mm-hmm. you have to wear like this and you have to behave like this and you have to do this and this and this and this. And after, after many, after some years of, of working with them, I really ended up thinking like, I don't think this, um, this prescriptions of how we have to behave really help us or make us happy. And, and, and if we can get rid of them somehow, and we, we would be happier. We would just would be happier if we don't have them. And and this seemed to be like a small box, like a small jail that we're we put people there and you have to be that and you have to be this because you were born with a penis or because you were born with a vagina, period. And you cannot have these documents also. Like you, you can go to the bureaucracy. You cannot have this document, you cannot have do this, and you cannot get married because you were born with this. So it's 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 I think it's more like a yeah, like this um, rebellious spirit of me trying mm-hmm. to be like, I don't want to be boxed. And I think people would be happier if they just free themselves from what they can love and what they were told. And they just explore like all this range of things and all this wide spectrum of stuff of what we were told sexuality right. and gender was at the beginning. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. But of course, I take it to well, we meet aliens. Some aliens have sexuality. What are the odds? <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it, and I think it does. It does this quietly political thing of of revealing the contingency, as you say, of all of these these boxes. Mm. You know, an, an event happens, aliens arrive on Earth, and within a few months, we start to see that you know, the body doesn't really matter, that death doesn't really matter, that, you know, gender, sexuality, you know, a different race of of beings would, would think it all a little bit silly. Yeah. The the way that we've tied ourselves up in yeah. this. You know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like very small thinkings. It's a very small way of thinking mm-hmm. about who we are. And 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 in this in this book in, in Earth Against Future in I, I call it Earth Against Future in English Tierra Contra Futuro. I love it. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I I I try to be like if we start 
uploading our brain and downloading it, for example, in another alien race, being human does also doesn't seem to matter anymore. Like, right. like, so uh, yeah, it's like I, I was thinking a lot about like, would this be colonialism if some aliens come and then we seek the help of them and then we try to implement some ideas, uh, and it'd be like, oh my god, like humans can't do this their own development on their own. But then it's like, um, I don't think it's bad to get some help from some aliens, but at the same time, it's like, what if we stop being humans and we also become a little bit like aliens? And what if some aliens become a little bit like humans and we stop being so defined as what it is to be humans? Because it doesn't matter anymore. And if we can change our bodies and, and if I can become uh, an animal and or, or I can become a person from another country or from another gender or from another um, ethnic origin, it doesn't matter where I was born. It doesn't matter any, anymore that what kind of body I have, or it doesn't matter anymore what type of skin do I have, because those things are just too small for who we really are. And that would liberate us in a way. Right. right. It's the, the loosening the grip on things that feel big, but then, you know, you zoom out a little yeah. bit and they suddenly look really, really small. Yeah. Or, you know, you invent an alien race who's able to look at the human race in a slightly more objective way who might think us slightly silly. Um, and they'd be right, I think, in yeah. some ways. Um, yeah. But particularly, you know, religious groups who keep asking the alien the alien directory, you know, where are the religious aliens? And they're going, no, no. Mm, you yeah, know? Is, is there, what is Jesus? Hmm? Yeah, and the aliens are like, no, uh, no. <laughs> but it, it's fond. I feel like there's a there's a warmth in your work um that as much as much as i enjoy you know splatterpunk and you know the the work that really rips apart the human body to ask what we are um those those more violent attacks on on physicality don't happen in your work there's there's a sort of warmth towards humanity and it's it's foibles should we say um it's sillinesses that are like satirized but you know I, st I still I, I get the sense from your work you have some faith in in the human race. I have to have it, otherwise I I would enter <laughs> in a terrible depression and mm, just not do mm -hmm. anything. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 that's one of my also one of my objectives of my work. Like there's so much negativity already in normal life. Like just turn on the news and just negativity, negativity, and no hope and nothing good is going to come out. Especially in Latin America, especially in Colombia, it's like. Mm. politically and economically everything seems to be going down the hole and it seems like there's no hope like what are we going to do it feels like we've, we we have no control over our politics it feels like we can't do anything um uh but and and also in sci-fi for a while it seemed like all the science fiction is about more destruction more war it's a dystopia after dystopia and and all the sci-fi movies are also a dystopia after dystopia and it's like well, there's got to be some hope somewhere. So I really thought, well, imagination. I, I love the, the work of Ur Ur Ursula Le Guin. Mm. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name correctly, but she's the... I don't know myself, but I, <laughs> I, I know who you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing because she really does this... Imagine, Let's imagine away from this dystopic thing and let's try to imagine something different, like anarchism. Let's try to think about gender. Let's try to think about something else. And she does it really well, and and I really I'm, I really feel inspired by her, and 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 thinking, you know, we can solve this. Let's use our imagination, not to imagine how worse it can get. Let's try to imagine right. how can we solve it, or how can we do something about it, even if it's too imaginative. It's like, how are we going to solve the problem of race? How about we like get rid of our bodies? And well, that's very imaginative, but yeah, th this is what I want to do. Like, I, I really want to 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 find the the positive, the good, the the hope. Mm. Yeah. And that imaginative exercise, which is so central to, to the genre um, and which allows its double function as, you know, a window into another world that is also, you know, a mirror of, of ourselves. Mm. I always think of that, that moment in, in the original, not the franchise planet of the apes um, where, you know, it's been earth all along, etc. You know, you're, you're taken to this very, very far away place 
and at moments you're you're reminded that it's it's your place also yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um so what for you um to finish i think we're, we're out of time is is the potential of the genre to shift our our visions of our future and also to to shift these ideas of global perspectives to to dethrone the the white euro perspective on sci-fi well, I, I think it's precisely what you're saying. I think it's precisely a mirror. And and curiously, the closer it is to reality, I think the more effective it is. Even if it's very imaginative the, in, in its tools to to produce this mirror. And um, but it definitely, if for me at least, if it's the closest it is to reality, the more effective, the more transformative it can be. And um. Yeah, and I think at least first, like I think in Colombia and in Latin America, we need we need a, another form of talking of our problems, of our political problems, of our technological problems, of our yeah, our many 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 problems that we have that we don't we if we just talk to them in the realism, no one cares and no one's gonna talk about them and like yeah, it's like it's happening all the time and it's like yeah, sure whatever, but yeah it's it's another form of interpreting our reality and i think that's that's very that's at least something to make people think about it reflect on it and hopefully i think we're living in a, in a period of time where really many other identities that before were not so um vocal or um like i don't know how to call it like this identities that, that were not in the light before, because before only the white male was present. Um, definitely, I think this shift is is fantastic because now a lot of other identities have voices, and I think and I imagine that in the future this will become more more of the more of the the not not the rule but more normal. Like it it shouldn't even be. I think to like like sometimes when there's a movie when when like every movie has to have a black character or something like that and it becomes a scandal or people start complaining like it's like well I mean not all not all the world has white people or like like you know like the world is so diverse mm. so I, I I like this I think I I think I see it as a positive way in, in a positive light and 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 writing and creating all these ideas of cyber shamanism of uh, indigenous sci-fi of latin american sci-fi all these ideas they help us populate the, our imagination of ideas that we didn't have before and that i think we really need we are out of time but thank you so much for joining me luis it's been so fascinating um i'll be sharing some of your images with your permission on social media yeah. so that people can get a real idea of uh, the texture of What's, in, what's inside your head and um, thanks to all our listeners Columbia Calling we'll be back next week